You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast, recorded in Scottsdale, Arizona. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at thebannerchurch.com. Would you welcome with me the Turners this morning? Well, good morning. This is my lovely wife, Lita, and we are about ready to celebrate 30 years of marriage. And uh, one son, three daughters, and about ready to have our seventh grandchildren. How many guys love your grandchildren out there? Amen. And um, I was raised, when I turned 18 years right out of school, um, I started making caskets, welding and grinding caskets for 20 years. Every 51 seconds, a casket went down the line. And it was literally on that casket line that I began to call out to God and cry out to the Lord. And I said, God, if you can use me, I'm just a welder, I'm just a grinder, I'm just from the cornfields of Indiana. But God, if you could take my life and use me, here I am. And I surrendered on that casket line. And the Lord began to call us into ministry and we began to get involved. First, it was locally in our local church. We've done about everything except lead worship. They still will not allow me on the worship team because I don't belong on it. <laughs> And, um, and then we started doing jail ministries and then prison ministries and then nursing home ministries and truck stop ministries. But it was 13 years ago that someone invited me down on the streets of Cincinnati to feed the homeless. They just got started. They just got involved. He was walking out of a Cincinnati Bengals game, and he's seen homeless people all over the sidewalk. And he said, God, somebody needs to do something about this. And God said, well, why don't you do something about that? And so he began to bring chili and hot chocolate down and love on those people. And a, a few days later, one of my pastor's uh, friends got involved, and he invited me down. And I'll never forget that first night that I went down there 13 years ago. It was uh, January. Ice was coming down. It was freezing. I know you guys don't know what ice is here. Freezing cold. Wind was blowing. And I got out of a vehicle. It was dark. It was cold. It was wet. And there was homeless people living all over the sidewalks. And I, and I told the Lord at that night, I said, I was so broken. I was crying. I said, God, how do I minister and encourage people that's lost everything they got? And there was a dark season in my life at one point, and uh, I felt like the ministry, I felt like it was over. I told God, it's over, it's done. Uh, I'm done with the ministry. And the Lord told me for three years one time, he said, it's not over until I say it's over. And that night on that sidewalk, he says, you go tell them what I told you when you went through your dark season, that it's not over until I say it's over. And so we begin to go down there, and every day I made those caskets, 8, 10, 12 hours a day I got off work. My wife, my children would have the hot chocolate, the chili ready. We would load up our vehicle, and we would head to the city. we begin to love on those people. Can I tell you something? Not every homeless person is a drug addict. Not every homeless person is an alcoholic. In fact, if they were, are they not reachable with the gospel of Jesus Christ? There, in, in America, there are 350 million Americans, and out of that 350 million Americans, 1% of them will be homeless this year in our great nation. Many of them are veterans who fought for our nation. Many of them are people that were re released from the mental institution. The family don't want them. The government don't want them. Society don't want them. They're living under the bridges. A lot of them are 18 to 22-year-old children that were released from the foster system. When they turned 18, they aged out, and they're living under our bridges. 
One out of every five homeless persons. Sorry, I'm a spitter. You haven't been water baptized? Come on down. Come on down. <laughs> One out of every five homeless people are a victim of domestic violence. And we have an opportunity to reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. And so what started out out of the back end of our vehicle that night, just me and my wife and uh, our children and a few volunteers, God began to multiply our hands. We've raised up thousands of outreach workers. We have birthed numerous homeless ministries all over Cincinnati, and then it went to northern Kentucky, and then Detroit, Michigan, and now here in Phoenix, Arizona. And literally, in, in 13 years' time, we have preached to over a quarter of a million homeless people on the sidewalk, setting up sound equipment and bringing a big team and food tables and haircut stations. And we would just preach the gospel and lead worship on a sidewalk. Over 2,000 outreaches and not one city permit to do it. Hundreds of people congregating on a sidewalk, preaching the gospel, healing the sick, casting out devils. God gave us everything that we needed. He gave us volunteers. He gave us the money. He gave us the food. In fact, over 67 NFL players came down and served on the streets with us. Multi-dollar millionaires, uh, CEOs of corporations, judges and city officials coming down on the sidewalks and loving on the homeless with us. God did great and mighty things. In fact, at one point, we took over a crack house. In Cincinnati, 1818 Vine Street was where you went to go get your guns, is where you went to go get your drugs. And the SWAT team, finally, they got tired of it. They went in that building. They raided it. They arrested everybody. They boarded it down. And guess what? Two weeks later, we took possession of it. And we turned that crack house into God's house. Five days a week, we had homeless people, drug addicts, pimps, prostitutes coming into our building because at lunchtime they got hungry and they knew that Pastor Jim would feed them and my wife Letha. But before they got the food, they got the word. We led worship five days a week. We did worship. We preached the gospel. We jam-packed that crack house. We were breaking every rule, fire codes that were possible. And the guy that, that was in charge of that, arresting all of those people, he was the, the main chief of police, and he was coming back through the hood a few weeks later. He's seen all of these people congregating outside of that old crack house, and he was mad. He was like, they're back in operation. I shut this place down. What's going on? Well, he pulls over. He slams his door. He comes walking right into a worship service. He sits down, he's got his arms crossed. I'm thinking, man, we're in trouble. We got too many people in here. You're only allowed having so many people. He came up, he says, man, that was one powerful service. I'm going to get Channel 12 News to come out and do a follow-up story from a crack house to God's house. Amen? Can I tell you something? The Bible says, they that know their God shall do great exploits. God has called us to be city shakers. Amen? God has called us to be giant killers and world changers. God can use a welder to make a difference in the city. Amen? And then God began to break my wife's heart. after We had all these homeless ministries going on. God began to break her heart for the women that are trapped in the heroin. Crack cocaine and meth and prostitution on the street corners selling her bodies for $20. In and out of vehicles. Straight to the dope boy. Back to the car. And in that cycle, many of these are raised in Assembly God churches, these women. Raised in good churches, had great education, had great homes. Got, some of them were doctors and teachers. 
had a great profession, but somehow they got caught up in the opiate world. The opiates led to heroin, and after heroin, it was survival mode. And we didn't know how to reach those women, but we had a burden. We knew that God has called us to make a difference. We had plenty of food. We had plenty of volunteers. We took those volunteers and those food and hygiene kits, and we hit the streets. Right where those women were selling their bodies, we began to love on them. We begin to build relationships with them, and one by one, we begin to rescue them off of the streets. In fact, and we know for sure that we rescued over 30 women from the streets of Cincinnati that were down there selling their bodies. They're no longer addicted to heroin. They're no longer selling their bodies. They're living productive lives. Many of them have joined our prostitution teams, and now the very streets that they were once bound, they're out there helping liberate other women with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? And then God began to build, uh, he began to burden our hearts for the children that are in the hood and in the projects and trailer, trailer parks and apartment complexes and didn't know anything about a children's ministry, but we were burdened. We had a passion that we could make a difference. We had plenty of food. We had plenty of volunteers. So we began to take toys. We began to take the, the sound systems and we began to hit those places where children were running around with just a diaper on and no supervision and running around the streets. And we begin to love on those kids. We begin to teach them God's word. We begin to do drama dances and, and lead these kids to Christ. And hundreds of kids all over Cincinnati are running around even today. If we go back, they remember those Bible verses. God was on the move. In fact, at one point, we had 15 outreaches a week. Homeless ministries, prostitution ministries, children's ministries. We were all over the city reaching over 1,700 people every week. And literally life was going good. We was at the top of our ministry. God was moving all of these volunteers and food resources in four years and seven months ago. In the middle of a powerful move of God, we would come home to find out that our world would never be the same again. We came home to find our 19-year-old son dead in our basement with a gunshot wound to the stomach. And our son loved the Lord. And all the homeless people knew our son because he would go around prophesying over him. By the way, I believe that God has a prophetic ministry on, on your life, a teaching ministry. But our son would go around the streets in the middle of the night loving on the homeless. He would give away his clothes. He would give away my clothes. I'm like, where where my shoes go? Dad, I gave them away. And he loved the Lord and he loved the homeless people. We don't even know what happened that night. We know he was bipolar. We know that he was suicidal and he had treks and all of these things going on. And But... We knew that he loved the Lord and the gun was far away from the body and who shoots himself in the stomach. And even today, the unanswered questions of what happened that day. But can I tell you something? If there was ever a moment that me and my wife wanted to quit, if ever there was a moment that we wanted to throw in the towel and say, this is where I quit, if this is the way it is, I'm done, I'm out of here. In fact, the first three days, I text all of my pastor friends. If this is right in the middle of a move of God. I told him, I said, I quit. I'm done. I'm a failure. Anybody ever feel like a failure before? And then on the third day, I got up, and me and my wife and our children, our three daughters, we made a firm decision that we're not going to quit. We're not going to throw in the towel. We're not going to get mad at God. We're not going to run from God, that we're going to run to God, and we're going to trust God. And I'm going to preach my son's funeral. 
And I'm going to take what the enemy meant for harm. And God said that he's going to turn it around for something good. And I'm going to plant inner city churches all over America. Amen. And I did. I got up and I preached my son's funeral. And that day I preached a message, Lord, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. I I don't want to drink this cup today. God, I I don't want to bury our son. We don't want to put our son in the grave, Lord. Lord, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, your will be done. And can I tell you something? When you make a decision, all of us are going to, as your pastor was was saying earlier, we're all going to go through some pain. We're all going to have some losses. We're all going to go through some tragedies. And this is the day that you got to make a decision that no matter who I lose or what I lose, I am going to run to God. Amen? And so we somewhat recovered. I mean, we're still receiving healing from that. We're still hurt. We still don't understand it. We're still. And so my greatest prayer today is, Lord, this doesn't make sense. Anything happen in your life, it just doesn't make sense. You can tell God, God, this, this doesn't make sense to me. And you can tell the Lord, Lord, this hurts me. But then you make, need to put a comment or says, Lord, it hurts. I don't understand it, but I trust you. Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not towards your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. Amen. And so we got through that tragedy, and then one year later, we would receive a call from our oldest daughter, Brandy, that's here with us today. She would walk in the room to find her only son um, not breathing to SIDS. Has anyone lost a child to SIDS before? And it was a few days later after that that we would be preaching our grandson's funeral. I come to tell you today that, yes, there's going to be some pain, there's going to be some tragedies, but at that moment, we got to choose to run to God. Amen. And so we got through that, but the Lord told us years ago that what we did in Cincinnati, he would send us all over America to do. And here we are, we're empty nesters, we're debt-free, our daughters are all married now. We knew it was time to step out on the word of the Lord, and me and my wife began to pray, God, where you want us to go? Everything that we raised up in Cincinnati could function without us. We raised up leaders, they're, doing, they're still doing those ministries and doing great things for God. And God spoke Phoenix, Arizona to us. And so here we got in our vehicle, not knowing anyone in Phoenix, and we left our daughters and our grandchildren, and we drove 2,000 miles away to an area that we know nothing about. We've been here a few times, and that was it. And the first night we arrived here two years and six months ago, we got here, and the moment we got to the driveway, we didn't even go into our house because we wanted to make a statement, we're here to make a difference. And so we hit the street. It was late at night when we pulled in, but we went straight to the streets. We began to love on the homeless. Once again, what started out at the back end of our vehicle, me and my wife and two other people that moved here with us, God has done it all over again. <laughs> Amen. And so we didn't have a building. We, did, we weren't even fully funded as missionaries, but we knew that we could hit the streets. And so we took what we had. We began to love on the homeless. Eventually, we began building relationships with them. At one point, we was preaching to almost 1,000 homeless people just a few miles away from here by Cass. Every Friday night, we was preaching the gospel to them. We was leading them to the Lord. And then I told everybody, we're here to plant an inner city church. I love outreach, and I love what we're doing on the streets, but we're here to plant a church where these people can have a home church. And people said, well, how much money you guys have? I don't have any money, but I have a big God. And we have a vision and a mandate that God has sent us to do. 
And here we are, about a year ago, God gave us a bar. I know in, in Cincinnati, he gave us a crack house. But here in, in Phoenix, Arizona, it was God's will to give us a bar. For 20 years, it was where people came to get drunk and high and uh, have a good time. But now, can I tell you something? We took over that bar, we turned it into a church. And we began to pack out that bar. Just It was two blocks away from all the homeless people where we did the street outreaches. They began to come over. We, we jam-packed that facility. Here it is right here, that old bar. And once again, we're breaking fire codes. We're having so many people in there. We're preaching the gospel to them. We got a, a water baptism tank just like this. We begin to dunk them in water. They begin to get filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen. And so we outgrown that place. And now we're in a, a much larger place. Look at this next facility, 440 seats. Central Phoenix. Amen. But we're a little further away from where we were with the homeless. We're a couple miles away from there. So God had to give us some vehicles to go along with the building. We had one 15-passenger van just December, just a few months ago. And, and I began to pray, God, we need more than a 15-passenger van. And God said, okay, I'll give you more, but I, you got to give me a seed. And I said, what? God says, you got to give me a seed so that I can give you a harvest. And I said, okay, God, what is the seed? And oh, God said, I want you to give your truck away. Now, this truck, I have preached thousands of sermons off the back end of it. We have led so many people to Christ. This was with the, the vehicle that God gave us years ago. And God said, i got to have it as a seed. And so God told us the family that we used to give it to that was going through cancer, we gave it away. And almost instantly, here we are a few months later, now we have three 15-passenger vans, a shuttle bus, and now i got to go to Douglas to get a 32-passenger bus that was just gave to us. Amen? So many homeless people are coming to our service every week that these vehicles that I just showed you is not enough. we got to turn people away. That's how many people wants to come to our weekly worship service to worship the Lord. They get out of a food line to get in our buses to come to church. And doing when I tell them, when the service is over, God is moving in such a powerful way in this little, in this church that the altars are jam-packed. They're running to the Lord. They're running to the altars. And when I tell them it's time to eat, many of them don't even care about the food because they're desperate for a move of God in their lives. Amen? Turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2. we got to get in the Word. I don't know how long that little presentation was, but hopefully it was only 10 minutes. <laughs> now, I have a word from the Lord. How many guys want to hear a word from God today? You're not just looking at a missionary, you're looking at an evangelist, and I love to preach. But Revelation chapter 2, verse number 7, simply says this. He that have an ear, how many of you guys got ears in this place today? He that have an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Seven times in the book of Revelation, this phrase is used as the exact same verse. God is speaking to seven different churches in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. And at the end of every one of those messages, he says the same phrase, He that have an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to that church. And as I begin to pray and cry out to God, I said, God, I believe that you are still wanting to speak to your church today. 
God, I believe that you have a church for America. You have a message for the Church of America. God, I believe even today that you have a message for Banner Church. Amen. And as I begin to cry out, God, what is it that you want me to tell your people? What, what is the message that you are trying to say today? God says, you go tell my people four things. Number one, he says, you go tell my people that the hour is late. Everybody say the hour is late. You see, Jesus, and, and he told us all the signs of the end times. And, and if you would read the Gospels, and especially Matthew chapter 24 and Mark chapter 13 and Luke chapter 21, Jesus, he tells all of these different signs that we are to look for, catastrophic signs and, and uh, famines and diseases and earthquakes and everything else. He says, when you see these things, it says in Luke chapter 21, verse number 26, he says, when you see these things begin to come to pass, when you see these signs, he says that we are to lift up our head and rejoice. Why? Because our redemption draweth nigh. Other words, what Jesus was saying is, is I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give you signs that you are to look for. And when you see these signs, he goes, you know that I'm about to come back for my people. So Jesus told me, he says, go tell my people that the hour is late. Can I tell you something? The signs of Jesus' return are all around us today. Can I tell you something, that this is the last days, that we could be the last generation before the rapture of a church? How many of you guys believe that today? Amen. In fact, I, I wish I had time to tell you about all the signs that point to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Not even the rapture, but the second coming. There are so many signs, political signs, that points to re the return of Jesus Christ. Did you know that one of the first signs that Jesus gave us that we are living in the last days is that Israel is a nation once again? You see, the Bible says that when the Jewish people were scattered all over the world in 70 A.D., they were, they were scattered. They left Jerusalem. They left their hometown. Jerusalem was burnt down. The walls were burnt down, and, and Jewish people were scattered all over the world. But God said, right before I come back, he said, I'm going to gather my Jewish people from the north, the south, the east, and the west, and I'm going to bring them back to my homeland. And the Bible goes as far to say as in one day they will become a nation. Do you realize that that Bible prophecy was fulfilled on May 14, 1948? Israel became a nation, amen, pointing to the second coming of Jesus Christ. But God didn't even just tell us about Israel. He said that one day in Ezekiel 38 and 39, God said that Russia is going to join hands with Islamic nations. That Russia is going to join hands with Iran and Ethiopia and Lystra. And they're going to have one agenda, and that is to annihilate Israel. Can I tell you something? You can't even watch the news today without seeing the alliance that Russia and Islamic nations have joined together. What's going on? I'll tell you what's going on. It is a sign that is indicating that we are living in the last days. Amen? And there's so many other signs, political signs, economical signs. The Bible says that one, there, one day there's going to be a cashless society in Revelation chapter 13. That what you will not be able to buy or sell unless you take the mark of a beast. Can I tell you something? The technology is all around us today. The world is crying out for a cashless society. What's going on? I'll tell you what's going on. We are living in the last days. When me and my wife had four kids, can I tell you something? None of our kids came by accident. Every time that there was a baby in the womb, there were signs that were indicating that we was going to have a baby. 
One of the first signs was she had strange cravings. Anybody can relate to those strange cravings. She, as I was making those caskets, she would wake me up and she'd say, I want you to get up and I want you to go to the store and buy me some sauerkraut. I'm like, you don't even like sauerkraut. And do you realize how far away the store is? And you want me to, you realize what time of the night is? And I got to get up and make caskets. I don't care. I want some sauerkraut. Yes, ma'am. I went and got some sauerkraut. I could have denied the strange cravings, but then came the, the morning sickness. Everything that she ate or looked at, she got sick over. And it was another sign and an indication that a baby was in the womb. And then we went out and got one of those tests. And we came and we watched for a one line or a two lines. And it was another sign and an indication that a baby was in the womb. And then missing the monthly cycle was another sign and indication that a baby was in the womb. Then we went to the doctor. They drew blood. They came out and said, the blood indicates that you're going to have a baby. And then begin to put on a little bit of weight, the back pains, the false labor pains. So many signs that were pointing to a baby. I could have denied all the signs, but nine months later, every time a baby showed up on the scene. Can I tell you something? All the signs are indicating that Jesus Christ is about to come back for his people. You can deny the signs all you want, but ready or not, Jesus is coming. Amen? It says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse number 16, 17, and 18, it says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ, our son that died. How many has, has some loved ones that went on before you? The dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive remain. How many guys still alive remain? Then we which are alive remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Titus chapter 2 verse number 13 says, Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Can I tell you something? I'm not looking for the Antichrist. I'm looking for the Christ. He's the King of kings, and he is the Lord of lords. Amen? John 14, verse number 1, 2, and 3. Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. He says, you believe in God, believe also in me, he said. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. He said, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, you may be also. How many of you guys are looking forward to Jesus Christ coming back? Amen? So God said, you go tell my people that the hour is late. The second thing he told me to tell you today was not only that the hour is late, but number two, the day is evil. The day is evil. It says in Ephesians chapter 5 that we are to redeem the time. The verse number, Ephesians 5, verse number 16, I believe. 14, 15, and 16. But look at verse number 16. Redeeming the time. Why? That word redeem is that we are to buy back every opportunity. Why? Because the days are evil. Not only is the hour late, but the day is evil. Do you realize today, church, that we are living in an evil day? We are living in a time when, when we don't even know if there's going to be someone coming through the back doors this morning strapped with a gun ready to kill innocent people. Why? What's going on? I'll tell you what's going on. The hour is late 
and the day is evil. We're living in an age where children are killing their parents, where parents are killing their own children, where children are killing other children. What's going on? I'll tell you what's going on. The hour is late and the day is evil. We're living in an age where people will take over our airplanes and will land them into government buildings where people are walking into movie theaters and killing innocent people. What's going on? The hour is late and the day is evil. Amen? You see, the Apostle Paul says it like this in 2 Timothy chapter 3. He says, know this also. He goes, I want you to know this. That in the last days, that's what we're preaching about today is, the last days, he goes, in the last days, perilous. This word perilous means two things. It means dangerous times will come. How many guys know we live in a dangerous society? But it also means difficult. Perilous means difficult. We are living in a dangerous and difficult society. He goes, perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of them own selves. See if this sounds like today. Covetous. Boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truth breakers, false accusers, incontinent. That word incontinent in the King James means people will be out of control. Fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. How many guys know that's the age that we are living in right now? The last days. Why? Because the hour is late and the day is evil. But number three, this is the most important one. Not only is the hour late and the day evil, but the mission is clear. Everybody say mission. You got to realize today that if you are a blood-bought, born-again child of God, that God has given you a mission. God has given you a mandate. God has a purpose. God has a destiny. God has a calling. God has an anointing on your life. Amen. And as I begin to pray and cry out to God, okay, God, what is the mission that you have given us? We know that you have given us a mandate. We know that you have called us, that you have chosen us, that you have anointed us for such a time as this. But what is the mission? And can I tell you something? We have four missions to complete on this earth. And I, you got to realize what these four missions are and the order in which God has given them to us. Can I tell you what your number one mission on this earth is? It's not to win the world, but your number one mission is to be in right relationship with God and to be on fire for God. Amen? You see, Jesus said it like this. This is the number one and greatest commandment. What is it, your number one mission? To love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all of your strength. That, this is the number one and greatest com, um, commandment. Can I tell you something today that unless you are on fire for God, unless you are in right relationship with God, you can't even reach the world. we got to guard our hearts against sin. Can I tell you something? The enemy wants to wipe you out. You may be here today and you've only been walking with God for two weeks. Maybe you've been walking with God for 20 years and you are a pillar in the church. It doesn't matter if you're at the first level or the last level. We all got to guard our hearts 
because the Bible says to be sober, be vigilant, because our adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, 1 Peter 5, 8, right? And can I tell you something? It doesn't matter how anointed you are, how much Bible verses you got memorized, how much you speak in tongues, how much money you put in your offering plate this morning. If you don't guard your heart every day, the enemy can come in and wipe you out. You don't believe me? Ask Adam and Eve who walked with God. They had perfect fellowship with God. They walked with God and talked with God. And they traded the whole garden for just one piece of fruit. How about Esau who traded his birthright for just one cup of soup? Samson was a powerful man of God. The anointing of God was on him. The calling of God was on him. But he loved to do what God said don't do. He began to touch what God said don't touch. He began to go places where God said don't go. He began to have sexual immorality. And and the Bible says at one point the, the spirit of God departed from him. How about the prodigal son who left the father's house? He traded the whole father's house for, for just a, for a pig's pen. Can I tell you something? Judas was a man of God. Judas was, when Jesus was praying about who he was a, to call the 12 apostles, Judas was one, and he was the one that Jesus called to be one of the apostles. Jesus sent out Judas two by two. He sent out his disciples. He said, I want you to go preach the gospel. Heal the sick and cast out devils. And Judas came back. All of them came back rejoicing that there was power in the name of Jesus. But Judas, he traded his call. He traded his anointing. And eventually he traded his soul for just a little bit of money. So make no mistake about it this morning. Your number one mission is to be on fire from God and to guard your hearts. Amen. Once you have that mission right, you are ready for your number two mission. Once you're on fire for God, can I tell you what your number two mission is? Your number two mission is not to win the world, but your number two mission is your family. Everybody say family. You see, I wish I, I understood that earlier in my walk with the Lord. When I was raising our son and our three daughters, and I, and I can't tell you how many times I have put ministry above my family. And even today, I get the pattern wrong sometimes. But I'm getting better at it because I'm starting to realize that my number two mission on this earth is my family. What is it if we win the whole world and but we lose our own family? Do you realize why Noah built an ark? The Bible says in Hebrews 11 verse number 7 that Noah built an ark not to save the world but for the saving of his family. Everybody say family. Every day he got up with a mission. I, I know the flood is coming and I got to build the ark and I got to make sure that my family is in the ark. Can I tell you something? It's not this church's responsibility to train your children up and to raise them up in the things of God. It is ours as parents. It says to train them up in a way that they should go when they're old. They will not depart from it. We got to realize today that our number two mission is our family. Amen? That we have that right. I'm on fire. My family is on fire. Now we're ready for our number three mission. Can I tell you what your number third mission is on this earth? is not to win the world, but your number three mission is the church. Everybody say church. Say the church. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Do you realize this morning that if this is your church and these are your pastors, this is your number three mission on this earth. You are to come here and to hear God's word. The Bible says faith comes by 
hearing and hearing by the word of God. We come here this morning to hear a word from God. Amen. This is where we come to encourage one another. The Bible says even the more so as you see that day approaching. Can I tell you something? I need encouragement from the body of Christ. You need encouragement from the body of Christ. I can't imagine losing our son and our grandson with, without having the encouragement of the body of Christ that walked alongside us in our darkest days, praying for us, lifting our hands up when I felt like quitting, when I felt like throwing in a towel. The body of Christ came alongside us. How many guys love the body of Christ? This is where we come to hear his word. This is where we come to encourage one another. This is where we come to stir each other up. This is where we come to exercise our gifts. God has given each of us gifts to use for his kingdom. Amen. Can I tell you something? Everyone wants to tell what the pastor's role is. We're really quick at saying, well, that's the role of the pastor. But this morning, I'm going to turn it around, and I'm going to tell you what your role is as a congregation. We know what their responsibility is to pray, to fast, to seek the face of God, to, to come out and give you a word from God. But can I tell you what your responsibility is to them? Your number one responsibility, and you guys stay in your feet, Josh and Katie. Now, if this is your church and these are your pastors, number one, you are to be their bodyguard. Everybody say bodyguard. You are to protect them. You are to plead the blood of Jesus. And the enemy wants to wipe them out. But you are to cover them and be their bodyguard and plead the blood over their lives. And you don't allow anyone to talk bad about them. Amen. Anyone comes and tries to talk trash to them, say, sorry, that's my pastor. I'm, you take your trash somewhere else. Amen. But not only are you to be their bodyguard, you are to be their cheerleaders. Everybody say cheerleaders. You got your pom-poms ready? That means when they get in the prayer closet and they get a word from God that God wants them to start a food pantry or they want to start an outreach, they heard from God. They get up there and say, we've been with God and God is ready to take this church to another level. This is what we're going to do. You are to bring up the pom-poms. You are to be their bodyguards and you are to cheerlead them on. Get behind them. Amen. You may be seated. That's good preaching. But you know what? Once you have your, your, those three missions right, you're on fire for God, your family, you're, you're trying to get them in the ark, and sometimes they do walk away. I'm a, I'm a prodigal son that walked away from God during my teenage years, but here I am back, and I'm preaching the gospel because I had a praying mother, a praying grandmother, a praying grandpa, praying for me, and I, couldn't, I, I could run, but I couldn't hide. <laughs> and once you have that right, God... My family, my church, now you're ready for your number fourth mission. And now that's my introduction, now I'm ready to preach. <laughs> Can I tell you what your fourth mission is? Your fourth mission is, is the world. It says in Mark 16, verse number 15 through 18, the Great Commission says to go into all the world. Everybody say, all the world. How much of it? That means we belong in the, in the crack houses. We belong in the nursing homes. We belong in the jails. We belong in the streets. We belong in the prisons. We belong under the bridges. Amen. All, I want you to go into all the world and preach the gospel. How many creatures? All. Everybody say all. All the world. All the people. That is what God has called us to do. This is our mission. Once uh, God, family, the church, now let's take it to the world. 
God has not called us to just keep it to ourselves. Amen? This, this building can't contain what God wants it to do. There's a lot of people that has church anointing. There's nothing wrong with church anointing. And the, there is a corporate anointing that is among us this morning when we're under worship like that. How many of you guys love that worship? But when we begin to worship God as a corporate body, what happens is the corporate anointing. The Bible says where two or more are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. The Bible says that he inhabits the praises of his people. This morning what you are in experience is the corporate anointing. But I'm not looking just to have a corporate anointing. If you can't preach here, you can't preach anywhere. If you can't prophesy in the church atmosphere, you can't prophesy anywhere. I'm looking for a graveyard anointing. God picked up Ezekiel and took him away from Jerusalem and set him down in the vision. I know what it means that Israel was gathered and they weren't a nation and God was going to bring life to them. But in the vision, set Ezekiel down in a graveyard surrounded by death, chaos, confusion, and darkness and said, now let's prophesy. Now let's see how anointed you are. You see, what God wants you to have is not just a corporate anointing, but God wants you to have a graveyard anointing. That no matter where you go, you have the anointing of God on your life. And he says, as you go into all the world, and as you preach, this word preach means proclaim. Everybody say proclaim. You may not get the, the platform. You may not get the microphone, but all of us can go and tell people that God is a savior, that God is a healer, that God is a deliverer, that God saved me, that God healed me, that God delivered me. How many guys can do that? And God said, if you would just go, leave the church house, go to the white house, go to the crack house, tell people how good I am. God says, you're gonna see people saved. How many guys wanna see people saved? They that believe and are baptized shall, say shall, shall be saved. He goes, not only are you going to see people saved, he says you're going to see people healed. He said, lay hands on the sick and they shall, everybody say shall, they shall recover. We believe in divine healing. God said, if you would just go and leave and go tell people, you're going to see people saved, you're going to see people healed. Then he says, you're going to see people delivered. He said, in my name, you sh shall, say shall, I'm putting emphasis on it, you shall cast out devils. I'd rather deal with a person that's demon-possessed than, than a person in the flesh any day. Why? Because I don't have authority over flesh. Me and his brother, you got big muscles, man. I, I don't want I don't want to get in a fight with you this morning. Why? Because flesh and blood. I don't have authority over flesh. But if we have someone walk in this morning that's the most demon-possessed person in this city, that's good news because my Bible says to me that no weapon formed against me shall prosper, that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world, that we shall tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the works of the enemy. Nothing by any means shall harm me. He said, in my name, you're going to cast out devils. They're not going to need a nine-step program because whom the Son of Man sets free, he is free indeed. I come to tell you that there is still power in the name of Jesus. There's power in the blood of Jesus. There's power in the Word of God. Amen. He 
He said, you're going to see people saved. You're going to see people healed. You're going to see people delivered. He said, I'm going to provide for you everything that you need. I preach a message that when you're down to nothing, God's up to something. When you're down to nothing, somebody walked in this, this building today, you're down to nothing. But I come to tell you that when you're down to nothing, God is up to something. In our ministry, we have been down to nothing so many times. In fact, I rejoice until this morning I'm down to nothing. But I realize something, that when I'm down to nothing, God's up to something. When we lost our son, we was down to $18. $18. And can I tell you, we watched God. God told me it's going to cost $10,000 to bury your son. $18 won't do it. I, I made a lot of caskets. I, I preached a lot of funerals. But I've never had a pay for one. And the day came, and as Mary Gill preached my son's funeral, can you believe that God gave us $10,000? And I wrote the check out to the funeral. I was on the front row, and I was writing it out. And she goes, what are you doing? I said, I'm writing this check out before I get up and preach. She goes, no, please, don't do that now. Do that after service. I said, no, when I get up in that pulpit, I want the devil to know and the world know that we serve Jehovah Jireh. And I refused to preach my son's funeral in debt. And I got up and preached a debt free. And then the next day, I posted family, body of Christ, family and friends, thank you very much. $10,000 came in. Somebody to this day, we don't even know who it was. They walked into our fifth third the day after our funeral, after it was already paid for. And they carrying $10,000 cash deposited into our account. We needed $10,000. But because we chose to trust God and honor God and follow God's plan, God said, I'll do exceedingly abundantly above all that you can ask or, or think. I know that you need $10,000, but I'm going to blow your mind and I'm going to give you $20,000. I'm going to give you double for your trouble. When God called us to walk away from that casket company, I, I had $58 in my name. And we walked out on a word from God, I went skydiving. This is my last story. I promise, I think. You see, uh, me and my wife went skydiving. How many guys have ever been skydiving? This is a powerful story. Me and my wife's been twice now. We're ready to go again. But that day, I was still making those caskets. I was still doing all of these ministries. We've always paid our own way. And that day, I attached myself to a man that I didn't know and went three miles up in the air and I jumped out of a perfectly good airplane attached to him and I didn't even know him. As I was driving home that day with the adrenaline rush, I, I just jumped out of a plane, this is wild. The Holy Spirit had me right where he wanted me. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me, this is seven years ago, and said, you mean you put that much faith in a man that you only knew for five minutes? How long have you known me? How long have you been walking with me? And I was so shooken by that. I went back to welding those caskets and I'm fasting and praying and seeking the face of God. And I said, God, if you want me to walk away from everything and trust you completely, leave 401k, leave insurance, leave 67 job skills, all the overtime I want. But God, if I can trust a man like that, surely I can trust a living God. I said, but I got to know it's you. You see, when Peter got out of that boat and walked on that water, he had to have a word from God first. He said, God, if it's really you, bid me to come. And Jesus said, come. And so I said, God, if it's really you, you got, you got to tell me to come. 
On that third day on that fast, making that casket, the Holy Spirit said, come. I walked away from everything, trusting him completely, and we never turned back. Why? Because where he guides, he provides. He is Jehovah Jireh. And I'm telling you this morning that if you, we would just be willing to do whatever God wants us to do. God, I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll say whatever you want. You want me to go to China? I'll go to China. You want me to go to Africa? I'll go to Africa. You want me to go to the streets of Scottsdale? God, here I am. You said that if we will go and tell people how good you are, we're going to see people saved. We're going to see people healed. We're going to see people delivered. You're going to provide for us, and he's, he's going to protect us. Can I tell you something? We have the protection of God upon our lives. That's why he said, if you drink any daily thing, I shall not harm you. You shall pick up serpents. What's going on? He goes, I'm going to protect you. Everybody stay on your feet this morning. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, if every eye closed and every head bowed, you found yourself in Scottsdale, the Banner Church this morning, and the Spirit of God has been working on your heart. You've been feeling Him knocking on your heart right now. And you know you need His love. You know you need His mercy this morning. You know that you need the forgiveness of God. That you need a relationship with God. And you're in this service and you're ready to give your life to Christ and surrender to Him. Let me see your hands all over this place. Anyone here? I see your hands. Anyone else? I see your hand. Anyone else? I need to get right with the Lord. He said, if you will just ask, if you will open your heart, the Lord said, I'm coming in. Everyone, let's pray this and mean this with your heart. Say, Father, forgive me. I know I'm a sinner. I have messed up my life. Save me. Heal me. Deliver me. Restore me. Change me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Use me for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to have the prayer team come up. Amen. Give the Lord a praise. <clears throat> I want the prayer team to come on up at this time. You see, you said the hour's late, the day's evil, the mission's clear, but number four, the power's available. Everybody say power. Say power. My Bible tells me, and you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And I want you guys to just join the funnel line. But I know that some of you has got to go and your pastor's going to dismiss you in a few moments. But if you're here this morning and you're ready to surrender to the will of God, you're ready to surrender to the call of God and you want the fire of God. I want the fire of God. There's more of God this morning than I want it. Amen. I'm not satisfied with where I am or what I got. There's more and I'm going after it. And if that's your heart today, I want you to begin to come through this line. We're just going to lay hands on you and pray for the fire of God, the power of God to come upon your life. Come on up, guys.